0: I'm Dr. Megan Corrado, and welcome to Real Stories, a podcast that features the narratives of trauma survivors, professionals, and community leaders. Real Stories provides a platform for guests with diverse life experiences to voice and honor their unique narratives. During today's episode, we will be speaking with Franco Roman. Franco, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: So let's start off. um, Can you tell us a little bit about who you are?
1: Uh, So I am uh, Franco Roman, otherwise known as Francisco Roman or Frankie, as my mother used to call me. (laughs) Um, I am originally, I was born in New York. Uh, My parents are both from Puerto Rico and I grew up in New York, Um, Mm -hmm. came to Philadelphia at around 1983. And um, then stayed until I finished school, went back to New York and returned in 1989, got married, Mm -hmm. had a family, started a career, social work. Um, Then in 1997 in the fire department um, as a dual career. And I've been doing that since that time.
0: Okay. So let's segue into uh, you telling us a little bit about what you
1: do. So what I do, um, the way that I I see what I do from my own perspective is that I help people. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always felt called to help others. I enjoy helping others. And what I mean about helping people is in a variety of ways. Mm. So um, I work at the Children's Crisis Treatment Center, and I've been there for now, since 99, so what does that make that, 21 years this year? Wow. Um, and before that, I, I worked at other places in, um, as a social worker in Philadelphia, um, okay. always with children, always with families. And um, I the, the way I contribute is I enjoy helping provide a safe environment where people can uh, grow and develop, um, Mm. get past some of the things that they face, some of the challenges they face in their lives, and um, find find some contentment in their life and some happiness and some personal peace. Mm. Um, And I work with children because I think that's a great place to start when you're um, doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. and I work in the fire department because I also enjoy excitement. So I enjoy working in a, a, from time to time in a chaotic situation or, or at least where every day doesn't look like the other. And, Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy working with teams to, you know, try to help people during very dire, um, crises. And sometimes Mm -hmm. very bland crises. I mean, sometimes people just do things that are accidental Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: they're not so, you know, it's not that much of a crisis, but it's a range from Mm -hmm.
2: uh,
1: the sky is falling to um, my finger stuck in a hole kind of thing. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's a really interesting combination. So social work and firefighting. Um, Do you do you find there to be any parallels between those two uh, choices of of professions?
1: Actually, yes, Um, there's a lot of parallels. The first thing is it's the way that they're exactly the same is that um, when you're helping people, when you're offering help to people who need it, um, you are you're there to do. As much as someone would allow you to do at the moment. So the way that they're the same is that you know you you can help people as much as they allow you to, and within the limits of and scope of your your uh, your job, right? Or what it is your focus of of what it is that you do, or or people are um, the auspices of whatever agency whether it's here the fire department whatever you know within those limits within those boundaries that you're able to do Mm -hmm. Um, they're a little different in with the fire department because you're allowed to go a little beyond what you would normally do for someone um, because sometimes you're working with people who aren't able to provide consent at the moment right there may be um, unconscious or disabled or, um, in, you know, in, in critical types of situations where, um, you have to act on what you, what, you know, the person might need to get them to safety. Okay. And I like working within that full range. I enjoy working within that full range. Um, it makes it it, it always keeps things interesting. And, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about all these different potential parallels and thinking about, like, figuratively and literally all these different um, connections between firefighting and social work. And you specialize in social work with... Individuals, um, families, youth who've experienced trauma as well. I'm sure you've heard a lot of different stories of trauma and a lot of stories of resilience in the course of your work, especially you know, seeing as you've been working in the field for 21 years. That's a lot of different narratives, a lot of different experiences that that you've had a um, that you've played a role in providing support in the midst of.
1: Well, um, God, trauma. Um, so probably part of my own journey, um, that brought me to work in, um, in situations that were, that are traumatic, uh, probably has a lot to do with, um, who I am, um, where, where I'm from, uh, things that happened to me. Mm. And over the course of those years and, you know, added to the 21 years that. Here at, at CCTC, the it's the fire department, it's at 24 years now. And all together wow. with the other agencies I worked with, um, more like 30 years. Um, wow. So I really began work in 1988. Okay. Right? So... Um, how many years is that right now? So we're in 2020. I'm a social
0: worker. I'm really bad with yeah, math. Yeah,
1: we're 2020. <laughs> and that would be, it's probably 30, about 32 years. Wow. Actually working all together. And, um, I had, I had a lot of personal trauma growing up mm. and, uh, part of, part of that journey, um, I don't know if that made me a social worker. I was born a social worker. I don't know. There's things I can remember since I was a kid about mm-hmm. enjoying helping others. Um, okay. That was interesting. But over the years, I've learned that um, I, I wasn't going to uh, fix the things that I felt were wrong in my life. By helping others fix theirs, mm. so I had to learn how to help myself and to um, find find help and
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, you know learn how to have some boundaries mm-hmm. and and then over the years I've had the pleasure of helping you know people that that needed it and wanted it and were able to use it mm. and that makes me very proud and very happy and a lot of them had trauma i mean most most of them had trauma how, yeah i don't know how you avoid trauma um but yeah. most of them had trauma whether it was separations at young age or you know severe diseases or um abuse neglect um Loss, grief, um, you know, a lot. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard to, to say that one or another experience stands out uh-huh. because there are a lot. There are many. Mm-hmm.
0: So every individual, every community, every system has a story. And we know that every story includes adversity, but every story also includes strength. Can you talk to us about some of the adversities that you have faced?
1: You want that chronological or by uh, by level of hurt?
2: <laughs> what,
0: however you are willing and able to share it. It doesn't have to be fully formulated in chronological sequence with a nice pretty bow. You can say it however it it uh, is meaningful to you.
1: So... I would say that um, my first experiences um, with trauma were around um, my own sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. I was abused sexually when I was a child. Um, My memory doesn't always, I haven't always been able to pinpoint, um, a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was young, uh, I was a young boy, um, somewhere around seven or eight, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that, impacted me uh profoundly Mm. um and you know then other other things like you know trauma is suffering you know you can't have like a a suffering competition with folks because you know every individual it's 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 very personal
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um but i could say that for me i carried um a lot of the uh, a lot a lot of the damage that I would say was done um, for a very long time, and I mm-hmm. didn't start to recognize it until I was going to have my first my first child.
2: Okay, with
1: my wife, and that's when I realized how profound the impact of that experience was. Mm-hmm. Because I was scared to, I I didn't know what to do, um, how I was going to be a good father. I was afraid to be a good father. Mm. Um, Now, not that my father wouldn't have been helpful, but I couldn't tell my father when I was a boy what happened. Mm. And I didn't tell anyone. Um, so,
0: So you were a little boy carrying around the weight of that on your own.
1: Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. And then the other things that were impacted, I mean, th- these are things that happened to everyone that I grew up with, so they're not special to me. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the, the time I grew up was um, uh, violent where I grew up. So there was a lot of violence and um, a lot of gangs and, Um, it was very confusing. Mm. So, uh, by the time, by the time I was 16, I had made, um, some really bad choices, um, that I think were directly connected to, uh, the trajectory that that moment, that that incident put me on. Mm. And I don't want to say all oh, like a victim. I had my choices. I mean, I, I could have done things differently. I had opportunities to do things differently, but um, I think I was incapable. And I don't blame myself anymore for being incapable, but I was at that time incapable of processing um, that experience and trying to give it its place and then move move away from it or move... Um, You know, deal with that issue and then, you know, try to move in a more direct, uh, more positive, um, a more positive trajectory. Instead, I took, you know, by the time I was 9, 10, 11, I was already involved in drugs and alcohol. And by the time I was 14, 15, I was a, um, the word would be a thug. (laughs) <laughs> kind of like a thug, like, mm-hmm. you know, someone who um, uh, was har- doing harm to themselves and others.
0: Wow. And all all of those things at such an early age, the trauma, the adversity, um, exposure to things in the community, and then your own kind of battles, all really early.
1: They, they were early. I'm kind of grateful they were early. Um, yeah. It gave me time like from this side of it, it was terrible. And, um, but I draw from those experiences a lot when I work with others. Wow. Um, and I don't know. I don't want to say that that was the only thing that led me to do what I'm doing Mm -hmm. um, or what I've been doing, but it had a lot to do with it, Mm. you know? And, um, and then there were other moments, you know, when my my, my parents um, used to own a boarding house and uh, many immigrants came to live with us um, that were both legal and illegal, you know, at mm-hmm. the time that they had permission and they didn't have permission to be here. And my mom and dad would protect them and try to help them, you know, get get their information together and do things. And so from a very young age, I could remember going to the offices with them to translate. Mm. And that was kind of like my, some of my first helping experiences. Wow. And I enjoyed them,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, and my parents would help other people. Um, And so I watched them help other people. And as limited as my parents were in terms of their ability to help, meaning, you know, their resources or even their education, they made a huge impact on the Mm -hmm. lives of others and who, who today those families, you know, the, um, you know, their, their children progressed and became um, important to the community, you know, to their community and to, to the the community that would have called their parents illegal at the time.
0: Wow. And you're, so you're saying your parents didn't have, a ton of resources, but they used the resources that they had in order to provide support and assistance to whoever they could.
1: Yes, they had their, they had a very strong. um, Ethic. I would say toward um, helping others. Mm. The only, the, the, their problem, the problem that we had was, um, that they had a strong ethic, but they also had other things, you know, that were very strong that I grew up with that were difficult to, um, understand.
2: Hmm. Mm.
0: So let's shift gears and can you share a few important positive moments or turning points in your story? Things that stand out to you as being, um, something empowering, something that you're proud of.
1: So, um, after when I was sixteen, around sixteen, was, um, the most violent my life became, yeah. um, toward others at that time, um. Cocaine and other very serious drugs were, um, beca- you know, uh, flooding the area where I lived and things became very serious. The mischief, we went from mischief to um, to criminal activity to just outright um, violence at mm. times. And I, um, during that time, I overdosed and um, it was at, at that moment and due to other experiences in my life, by the way, it, it's, I had a lot of kindnesses in my life, a ton mm-hmm. of kindnesses. I have friends that, that are still alive, um, are still around uh that were that are incredible. I have one friend that that had he had muscular dystrophy and I used to help him get around um mm-hmm. as he became disabled and he became he later now he's an attorney an accountant and a judge an wow. elected judge and we've still maintained friendships. I had I had influences like that mm-hmm. um influences um from church there was a synagogue next door to my house and they were very kind. There was a uh, a church that, that I had my family attended and they were very kind. My family did try to keep me as safe as possible um, without knowing what had happened to me or where my mind was. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a great deal of things that that contributed to resilience in my life. Mm-hmm. So even though these horrible things were happening, there was another part. It was almost like Having two sides, like having, you know, um, uh, a conflict um, within my mind and my spirit Mm -hmm. um, about how to be and who to be. And after I overdosed and I almost died. um, Wow. At 16. Yeah, that was at 16. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought I was going to die. And. So I sincerely started to pray at, at that moment. I remember praying. It wasn't on heroin, it was, and I could tell you the whole story, but it, um, let's just say that at the, I had the moment, I had a moment of clarity mm-hmm. at the moment of my demise, okay?
2: Mm.
1: And that moment of clarity, um, I asked for God's help. I asked for his help, I asked for his forgiveness. And I didn't ask to live. Mm. I, I I didn't ask God to to save me. Actually, I wanted to die. Mm. But I asked God to that if there was another life, that it wouldn't be like the one I had. Mm. That He would forgive me and allow me to live something other than hell. Mm. And um, and I prayed that in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. The next morning, I woke up. And it didn't completely change my life. I'm not going to say that I turned around and I was all of a sudden, you know, um, the greatest person in the world. Mm -hmm. But something changed when I woke up something changed I knew something was different mm. and for the next three years I started to live a different life in steps right the church helped me um, I had friends who didn't believe in church who helped me mm. um, employers took on took took on some role in mentoring me people liked me. Mhm. And they helped me. So by the time I was 19, I was going to go to and I went by the way, I went to a adolescent program. Not okay. not much different from what we would consider today like a um a bit of a step down from a partial program, mm-hmm. but a little bit high, like it wasn't in a normal setting outpatient. yeah it was it wasn't in a normal it wasn't a normal setting it was it was a uh a a program where you went and the te- the there were teachers that were brought in there were counselors there it was um jamaica community adolescent program and it was run old school by a bunch of ex-addicts okay except for the teachers um uh, it was it was really interesting actually when I look back hmm. is and, it still around today um I it, I, it wasn't it may in a different form it evolved later on because of you know this is this is years ago right mm-hmm. um, this is when I was um you know 16 and and back then that's 40 40 years ago oh no uh yeah 40 years, I'm 56 now so it was when I was 16 okay so um it was very different you know it was the old you know people yelling at you wearing signs you know doing all these these things but during treatment yes (laughs) (laughs) that
0: is very different
1: (laughs) it was really different it was really different um but I could remember I could remember one guy brought the, a gun to the like a 357 to a group because he was angry and I remember getting up and talking him down and happy wow. I didn't get shot and you know um yeah it was that kind of place it was crazy mm. um, but that those kinds of places is where it started and by the time I was 19 I was gonna to go to the military, and um, the pastor was so corny. He said, "He says, Frank, would wouldn't you wouldn't you rather be a navigator of men?" <laughs> and he was such a nice man, right? And I'm like, man, Pastor, you really don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I respect you and all, but you know you. Um, and what happened was I was on my way to the recruitment center. Mm-hmm. I was about to, I, um, I was going to, on my way to swear in. I had taken the test and all. I was on my way to swear in. And by the way, I got my GED. That's the other thing. In the program, I got my GED. I, um, I never graduated from high school. And so he I, I was on my way to swear in, and I stopped by the church. And he asked me to stuff some bulletins for him. And he was watching me. And I kind of thought it was weird that he was watching me. Like, what are you watching me for? And he calls me in and he lays that line on me. Frank, wouldn't you rather be a navigator or a man? And I'm like, I'm on my way to the recruitment office. He goes, goes, look, he goes, don't go. I don't want you to go. Um, I want you to take a week and I want you to come back here with your father. And let's have a conversation. Now, when I said I was lucky, I was young that a lot of this stuff happened to me when I was young. It's because like all the trouble I got into, the trouble, the legal trouble, the, the, the stuff in the streets, all of that happened when I was very, very, very young. OK. So because that, turn, that those three years of recovery occurred, by the time I was an adult. I had a chance,
2: Mm.
1: I had a chance, and that's one of the reasons that I I believe in children's services so Mm -hmm. much, because the earlier the better, you know, fine, bring them in in preschool, Mm -hmm. yeah, let's work with everybody until, you know, until we get to high school, and then hopefully, through this experience, we might put another fork in the road, Mm -hmm. you know, we might do a bypass, right, you know how you have a heart bypass? It's the mm-hmm. same thing. You're just trying to bypass that 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 road to get you back onto the main artery. You know what I mean? So that mm-hmm. you can get back on and live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what happened to me, right? And so I, I I really believe in in services. I believe in what I do, and mm-hmm. and it's not just for me. I, mean, I know I've studied. I know I went to school. I went back to school and did all that, but. In my in in my soul, I feel like I contribute at least in little increments
2: mm-hmm. to mm-hmm.
1: getting someone to getting someone to live a life.
0: Mm-hmm. And then thinking about like the process of change, I think sometimes we view change as happening in these really huge dramatic moments, and sometimes. That's the way that change happens. And other times there are these incremental steps forward and then you move backward and you move forward again. Um, And then hopefully when you turn around and look back, you can say, wow, look at how far I've come. Even if it doesn't always feel like that at the time, too.
1: Well, it's exactly like that. Sometimes you have big moments. Right. And other times it's just. It's just getting through the daily steps sometimes just through the day, right, that gets you to the next level. And, um, you know, there's a lot of hope in that. There is. So I, I went, I ended up, this guy, so this pastor ended up taking me to Bible. He had a conversation with my father, and my father said, you don't know this guy, like me, like, you don't know him. You sure? And I said the same thing. I was like, you know what, he's right. You need to really be sure because you don't know me. Mm -hmm. I I haven't finished school since the eighth grade. So he says, don't worry about that. God will take care of that. So he took me to colleges that that he knew. And one of them was at Philadelphia, Philadelphia College of Bible.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I guess he had friends at the school. And they just said, apply. I think I I wrote the application in pencil. I I was, oh, I was so delayed. I was so delayed. I was boy interrupted.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: think you have a hard time with math. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I, could, I the last thing I remember learning was um, a multiplication, division, uh, subtraction and out a little bit of geometry, a little bit of algebra. That was mm-hmm. it. Um, everything else, the reading, you know, I learned to read again by reading, starting to read the Bible and the newspapers and I I, because my brain had I think I had I was brain damaged at the moment at that time you
2: Mm -hmm. know so that
1: the activities I was involved in damaged my and the trauma I think damaged my uh, ability to think all that had to recover Mm -hmm. and Philadelphia College of Bible was the next recovery program it was a recovery program I am so grateful to them as limited as things were right small college you know very very definitive way of thinking but it gave me like two railroad tracks that I can I can get on and then get to the next step mm. and that's what it provided and I I became civilized <laughs> At the college I learned how to be civilized? a civilized yes a civilized <laughs> person i got manners I learned what manners were. I learned what appropriate language was. I learned, Mm -hmm. um, I learned about uh, study and I learned about fairness and um, service. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned a different culture. I mean, this was a, this was a, for the most part, this was a white college and the, jamaica community adolescent program that was all african-american and mm-hmm. where i came from was pretty much latino except for the italians and the greeks and, you know so it, it gave me like this whole new experience with um with every with the world it was a whole new world experience for me wow i, I can't tell you i I brought medicine with me because I didn't think there was going to be medicine here. Really? Yeah. I thought I was going to the woods. I didn't know where I was going.
0: Did you bring toilet paper? Uh, the
1: whole thing. I brought really? and, and they laughed at me because I brought sugarcane. I also brought sugar cane and fruit. You know? And they're like, what's that? I, sugar cane? You people don't have sugar cane? Are you living under a rock? How do you not have the sugar cane? Like things like that. It was just, it, it, it was just. A completely different. Respect. Then I got a chance to study in Israel. Mm. And that was another increment. That was another step. But I'll tell you, there's nothing that was a bigger step than getting married, mm. having children, and having a career. When I thought I had myself together finally, that's when I realized that I really didn't have myself together. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a very, very long time to process where some of my anger comes from and my mm-hmm. rage and my self-doubt and my um, my depression. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that those things were things,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? That they were issues. I thought... I thought so many things were, um, didn't feel right, but were like, like, let's talk about confidence, just confidence itself. I don't mm-hmm. think I actually became an adult, like a real confident adult till maybe five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I'm 56. I'm talking about 50, 51 okay and when I finally you know I lost my parents to cancer and um I took we took care of them and I had to be the adult for everybody Mm -hmm. I I learned a lot and my friends Mm -hmm. and I and all through those years that I'm talking about, I've developed some incredible relationships and I have a community of people. You're one of them. Mm. You're one of them. And I, I have a community of people that have continued to contribute to my life more than I could ever contribute to them. Mm. I'm, I keep learning and growing. And I don't know
0: though franco i i think you i think you minimize your impact on others too
1: maybe maybe I, I might, but i don't um i guess the thing is i'm not i don't want to be arrogant in assuming that I can impact someone because the Mm -hmm. truth is if someone's impacted, right. It's because they have decided to take something on, whether it's the help you're giving them or the Mm -hmm. encouragement you're giving them. And they're taking that and and moving their lives forward because the real work is up to them.
2: Yeah. Right. right.
1: The real work is up to them. Uh, My work um, is is much easier when it comes to someone else's life. Now, now, um, but without trying to sound arrogant, I've done a lot of good. Mm-hmm. And and at first, I used to think it was to make up for the bad, but it's not. It's not, because the bad is gone. It's washed away. There's some, there's, there's consequences. There's always consequences.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: some consequences last a lifetime. And um, let me tell you something funny, because this is funny, right? The other day, I hope you think it's funny. I hope so. You might edit this out, but this is funny. So the <laughs> other day, right, I get a letter from the doctor that did my colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. right you know what a colonoscopy is right i do i do yeah So he did my colonoscopy and he retired and um (laughs) this is funny dr moses actually and i took the letter and i looked at it and i was sad for a moment that he retired and i'm thinking to myself why am i so sad about why he retired (laughs) he just he did my colonoscopy he was a nice doctor we talked and I'm thinking about it and I said, "You know what? It's because he's one of the men I know that was very kind to my backside." <laughs> he's the kindest he's the kindest man that had ever touched my backside. And that's what I mean. Things, you know, things linger in your head cuz when you've had a bad experience, right? The good <laughs> experience just seems so much better, you know? Though I'll never trust the anesthesiologist ever, but Doctor mm. Moses, him I'll trust. <laughs> and I was sad. I was like, he was such a good man, and uh, <laughs> you know. So, like I said, some things linger that are crazy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, but but for the most part, you move on. Mm. You know, and and if you believe in God, now here's the other thing. If you believe in God, there's a lot of friends I have that don't believe in God. There's friends Mm -hmm. that I have that believe in uh, the ways of Buddha. They believe in um, Muslims, you know, uh, believe in Allah. I'm not going to just like just like I'm not going to compare my suffering to someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to compare my faith to someone else. Mm. I'll tell them what my faith means for me Mm -hmm. and that the grace of God has been incredible in my life. And I and they tell me about the grace of God in their lives or or the or just the grace of the universe or the fact that, you know, whatever it is that keeps them going. I'm not going to knock it
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) because who Mm -hmm. am I to knock their, you know, their experience? I don't want to do that. But I, mm-hmm. I, I'll talk. I'll talk with anybody, anytime. Mm. So COVID was the last trauma I just went through, right? Mm. Not, the, not I don't. I wouldn't say one of the worst. The worst was seeing other my mother suffer. Mm. But but going through COVID was um, difficult.
0: Mm, I can't imagine.
1: And um, and I didn't have it. I didn't. I wasn't on a ventilator. All I had was the pneumonia. And when I say all I had was the money, it was terrible. It was mm. it was like moving toward the ventilator. Like I I I was like, "Oh my god." Wow. We're going to end up on an elevator. But I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. I couldn't get You couldn't my, even speak? I couldn't get my sen- sentences out. I could hardly speak. Um but I got better. Mm. So, you know, I'm I'm happy to have gone through it. And being on this side of it, like I'm happy that it's over, is what I mean.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not happy that I, that I got it. I'm happy that it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, but where – and they, they said a lot of people feel a lot of trauma during that experience, and I can understand so why. Um, but I got calluses. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got trauma calluses. <laughs> that was a trauma, but I don't know. I've had – you know, maybe I wish the younger you are, the worse you experience trauma. But no, mm-hmm. I've I've developed some calluses, and that's the other thing. There's hope in um, getting through things because over time, um, you can literally become a stronger. You can become stronger through suffering. Mm. I, I, I don't want to I, I don't want to imply that that means um, suffering's a good thing.
2: Hmm.
1: I'm just saying that, um, that it, that's one of the results in my life. As much as the suffering is real, so is the strength.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: I'm just, so as I was listening to you talk, you just have this, this way of, of sharing, of, um, talking, of reflecting that it can make you laugh and it can make you cry. And at various points when you were talking, I felt tears starting to uh, drop down my face. And then I was also like laughing. And and it also makes me think about like, how many of us can relate to these ups and downs, to these traumas, to these victories, um, to falling down, to getting back up again, um, to having doubts, to having fears, to having confidence and strength. And I I really want to thank you for your vulnerability and thank you for sharing all these things that you didn't have to share. Um, This is your narrative. And if you wanted to keep your narrative um, to yourself, that would be perfectly fine. But I also um, just want to acknowledge how appreciative I am. And and I know how how appreciative others will be that you were able to um, just connect with us in this way, as we are also experiencing these ups and downs as well.
1: Well, I want to thank you for, um, you know, how I feel you're brilliant. And I feel that, um, there is so much you contribute to, um, expression and, um, to, I mean, what you do to provide a platform, um, whether it's through art or therapy or, um, you know, just talking about the stories is just talking about it's through having being able to talk about and putting me at ease to talk about it.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, That's all wonderful work. And I, you know, I thank you for um, just for being who you are.
0: Thank you, Franco. Um, so one more question for you. What is your vision for yourself in the future? Where do you see yourself moving forward?
1: That's a good question, right? Because, uh, <laughs> so am I at the end or the beginning? Mm. That's that's what I keep asking myself. Am I am I at the end? Am I planning to get you know um, a house in a, a elderly community so I can you know just bide my time until I have to get cared for? Um, I don't think so.
0: I don't think so either.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I know that some things are coming to a natural end. Um, physically, um, it's soon it's going to be time, you know, um, within the next few years to retire from the fire department
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to completely retire. That's a whole process. And. I'll be continuing working, doing social work. Um, I have a uh, a silly dream. Like I've always had a chance to do the things I want. By the way, I really wanted to be a firefighter. So yeah. that's something I got a chance to do that I really wanted to do. And mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a social worker. And that's something I got a chance to do. Um I'm afraid to say what I the other thing that I want. Why um, are you afraid? Um, cuz I don't know if I'll be able to do it. Um it's it I feel like uh It's funny cuz at this point in my life I feel like a teenager again. Yeah. Yeah. Because. um, I've. The middle part. Is. um, I'm almost done with the middle part. I'm at Mm -hmm. the other end. So I want to have fun with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had the chance, right, to do all these other things and I feel great about it. But I want to have fun with the end part. And I would like to do comedy. <laughs> yeah? I would. I would like to do comedy. Um, it, it, just to do it. And, mm-hmm. um, and I would like to conti- continue to contribute. Um, maybe to study again. Mm. Start studying again. and um, Maybe write, going for the doctorate. Write a little bit. I thought about that. But see, when you have four kids... So the the, the 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 um my contribution to my family is not over, so I don't know if I can afford it. Okay. I don't know if I could afford to go back to school. Um, okay. Like that, that would be great. That would be mm-hmm. great. But I still I have a sixteen year old um, mm-hmm. that has to get through school, so I have to mind him first. And um, but I'm I'm thinking I want to do something fun but i hear comedy's not so fun huh but i won't really well they because they struggle you know a comedian that has to earn a living struggles the thing is i may not be so dependent on earning a living Mm. so so maybe i could have fun with it Mm -hmm. i don't know does that sound silly to you
0: not at all. You are one of the funniest people that I know. And you have stories for days.
1: Uh, <laughs> like you have
0: and then the way that you tell stories,
1: uh, thanks. I would be I'd love to. I would love i can't
0: to. I can't wait to sit at the show and just laugh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Franco. Um, we appreciate it. I appreciate you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Stories. The resources referenced by today's guest speaker will be included in the episode description. For more information about me, Dr. Megan Corrado, and my work with the stories trauma narrative intervention, please visit my website, guide, G-U-I-D-E, dot com. Also, feel free to follow my story social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember that for every story of trauma and adversity, there is always a story of strength and resilience.